The NFL playoffs are officially here. We have absolutely crushed this NFL season, ending the year going 34 and 12 in the last five weeks. Our lifetime playoff record is 159 and 93. Get on board now and take advantage of our one time offer of 71% off wildcard weekend to celebrate our 71% win percentage on computer totals this season. All you need to do is Google Sharp Football, click on the website, Sharp Football Analysis, and click on the blue banner up top to get access. Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan underscore McChrystal. Also, be sure to subscribe to the Sharp Angles podcast feed wherever you're listening to us today. We'll get all of our weekly podcasts. And also subscribe to Warren Sharp on YouTube for fantasy football insight, matchup previews, in-depth stats and analysis, and plenty more. Wildcard weekend is here. We've got six games. I am going to give you at least one prop that I like in each one of these six games. And since we're touching on each of the games, I'm just going to run through the games in order that they'll be on this weekend. So let's start out with Seahawks Niners. And for this one, I'm going to be on the under on Kenneth Walker's longest rush. Have not seen this line posted yet, but I'm going to be on the under so long as it's available at 13 yards or higher. Uh, It has pretty consistently been in that area. So this probably will be a bet that we can place. And it has a lot to do with the 49ers defense, which we've talked about a decent amount this year, especially towards the end of the season. I'm going to be on the under on his longest rush a little bit because of the defense, a little bit because of Walker's running style. I just don't think this is a really good matchup for him, at least in terms of his ability uh, to break off some of these longer runs. And obviously when we talk about longest rush props, we're often talking about yards before contact. The 49ers allow three or more yards before contact I'm just 18% of carries by running backs. That's the third lowest rate. And they were particularly dominant against Kenneth Walker in their last meeting. Walker had 14 carries in that game. He was contacted within one yard of the line of scrimmage on 12 of those 14 carries. Now, he did have a run of 15 yards, which would hit the over if if the line is where we're expecting it to be in this matchup. It can happen, but that was probably a little bit more of a fluke that was one of just six times a running back ran for 15 or more yards against san francisco all year and walker he he really doesn't tend to break off those longer runs when he's contacted so close to the line of scrimmage to get those longer runs he has really relied on uh, having some room to run like like a lot of running backs but walker he's just not one of those derrick henry types that can take that early contact and just plow through. He was, he was a little bit that way in college. Maybe, you know, may, maybe he can become that in the future with more experience, but he has not been that way this year. And I think that this is a particularly bad matchup, the way that the 49ers create so much early contact because Walker tends to dance so much in the backfield. It was by far his biggest flaw as a prospect coming into the league, the rate at which he just kind of dances in the backfield and waits for something to open up. Obviously, he got away with that a lot in college against you know defenses like Purdue and Northwestern. You can do that. Can't get away with that as much in the NFL. And so that's why he has had some rough games against good defenses. He gets hit in the backfield on 29% of his carries this season. That's the fourth highest rate. And when he does get hit at or behind the line of scrimmage, 
he averages 0.6 yards per attempt. That's the second worst rate in the league. So he dances too much in the backfield. He get, generates a lot of contact in the backfield. And when he's hit back there, he doesn't go anywhere. He just goes down on contact essentially. So against a defense like the 49ers, that's going to also create a lot of early contact, regardless of who they're playing against. It's just a terrible matchup for him. So I do not think that he's going to be capable of breaking off a longer run. So, so long as this line is available at 13 yards or higher, I think we're in pretty good shape to bet the under on Walker's longest rush. Now, I do want to mention the total yards prop here. It's available at 59 and a half yards. Based on those numbers that I lay, just laid out, you might be thinking, well, this also sounds like a good opportunity to bet the under on his rushing yards. If I had to bet it, I think I would lean that way. But as we talked about on last week's podcast, the the uh, these lines have been adjusted so much for the 49ers defense because they've been so good against the run that we've actually seen the over start to hit. And there's a little bit of a trend towards uh, running backs hitting the over on their rushing yards against San Francisco. We also saw this really early in the season because last year, you remember late last season, that was a trend that we played a lot, betting the under on running backs against the 49ers because they were so good last year as well. And then this year, for really a good part portion of the season, early on, we saw that the the over was hitting because the lines were so low. Then it kind of adjusted. The middle of the season got back to where you could play the under again. And now late the season seems to have adjusted back, or I, I should say over-adjusted because we're seeing the over start to hit too much. To put that into perspective, that 59 and a half yards for Walker's prop, that's 20 yards lower than it was last week. So this is giving a huge amount of respect to the 49ers run defense. And it's just, I think, I would I would stop short of saying it's too much because I don't like it enough to bet the over here. But it's it's a good amount of respect, so I'm just going to stay away from that line. Like I said, we've been seeing the overs hit on San Francisco with these lines dropping so low. So even though it is a really bad matchup for Walker, I would much prefer to play the under on his longest rush than I would the total rushing yards because that line has just dropped so low relative to where we usually see it is for Walker. It could be a case where he's bottled up, but he still hits the over just based on the volume. So I'm going to stay away for that reason. All right, our next game is Jaguars Chargers, and this is probably my favorite prop of the weekend. I'm going to be on the over on Travis Etienne's longest rush at 17 and a half yards. This is a great combination of an explosive running back against a defense that allows big running lanes. We've seen 14 different running backs this season have a run of at least 18 yards against the Chargers. And that includes Josh Jacobs, who did it in both games. So there's actually been 15 instances of a running back doing this in a game, if you count Jacobs twice. It really just has to do with the Chargers' inability to generate any kind of disruption up front. They're allowing three or more yards before contact on 31% of carries by running backs. That's the second highest rate. Now, in the postseason, obviously, we want to put a little bit more emphasis late in the year. So I looked up what they were doing lately. Over the last five games, the rate has actually increased. It's 33% over their final five games. And when the Chargers do allow three or more yards before contact, they allow 15 or more yards on 19% of those carries. That's the seventh highest rate. So the Chargers do not create contact up front. And when they give up running lanes, they allow running backs to take advantage at a really high rate. That's awesome for Travis Etienne because he gains 15 or more yards on 21% of his carries when given three or more yards before contact. That's the eighth best rate in the league. Now, these teams did play earlier in the year. Etienne did not hit the over in his regular season matchup, 
but that was back when he was still serving as James Robinson's backup. So he was uh, limited a little bit in that game. And I do think it's worth noting that James Robinson, significantly less explosive than Etienne, broke off a 50-yard run in that game. So although Etienne didn't have a long run, the Jaguars' run game did still take advantage of it with Robinson breaking off that long run. Obviously, at this point in the season now, we expect Etienne to have the lion's share of the workload here. You know, if, if he gets a decent workload, I mean, really, as long as the game script doesn't go horribly wrong for Jacksonville, he should get enough touches where at least one of those he's able to break off a long run against this Chargers defense because that's just how things have gone for the Chargers defense pretty much all season. So this is my favorite prop of the weekend. Travis Etienne, longest rush over 17 and a half yards. All right, next game is Dolphins-Bills. I'm going to give out two props for this one. One of the reasons I'm going to give two options is because haven't seen a lot of lines available yet because of the uncertainty with the Dolphins quarterback situation. Actually, just before I started recording was when we heard that Tua was not going to play and that Skylar Thompson was going to start. So hopefully we'll see some lines posted pretty soon. Um, so I'm going to give out two props. Hopefully at least one of these will be an option that we could play in this game. To be perfectly transparent, though, this is the game that I like the least. If I if I were going to skip betting on props on one of the games, it would be this one because you know, it has the possibility of being such an extreme blowout that that makes predicting the lines or predicting these uh, where these props should land a little bit more difficult, I think. So I, I might stay away, but if you want something just to make this likely ugly game a little bit more interesting, I'll give out two options here. The first one is going to be the under on Tyreek's Hill. Tyreek Hill's longest reception at 25 and a half yards is where I would expect the line to be. Maybe it drops a little bit lower than that with Thompson playing, but you know, Tyreek Hill has obviously been explosive. That line is usually still pretty high, even with the quarterback change from week to week for the Dolphins. This has a little bit to do with their uh, questionable offensive line. We'll see what happens over the next couple of days as far as who's going to play. Uh, Taron Armstead, their left tackle, hasn't played over the final two weeks. In their last game, their right tackle, Brandon Shell, was knocked out. He left with an ankle injury. We talked about this a little bit earlier in the season when Armstead missed some time. They just they cannot protect the quarterback without Armstead out there. He's been extremely valuable to them. The Dolphins are allowing a pressure rate of 26.8% when Armstead is on the field. That's pretty good. That's above average. When Armstead is not on the field, their pressure rate is 47.3%. That's abysmal. That's like JV versus varsity type of pressure rate allowed. And that's not a small sample size either because Armstead missed some time this year. That's 226 dropbacks without Armstead on which they're allowing a 47% pressure rate. So if he can't go, they're they're going to have to adjust how they play. I mean, they can't expect to have, especially with a young quarterback like Thompson, they can't expect him to sit in the pocket, take shots downfield when he's going to have pressure in his face almost immediately because they can't protect. And it could be even worse. Obviously, that stat was without Armstead. If Shell is also unable to go, it could be even worse. So monitor this situation. If they're without Armstead, especially if they're without both those guys, it's going to be really hard for them to ask Thompson to try to take shots downfield. I just don't think they're going to be able to protect him long enough to do that. And so they're going to have to kind of dink and dunk their way, probably lean on the run game a little bit more, probably try to, try to limit the number of possessions in this game, try to slow the game down as best they can. And so that would definitely lead us to think that the under on longest reception props are more likely. The reason I selected Hill for this one rather than Waddle Hill is typically his long plays tend to come on downfield throws 
Whereas Waddle does get break off long run, longer plays on shorter passes at a much higher rate than Hill does. Obviously, Hill's capable of that, but that hasn't quite been his role in the Dolphins' offense this season. So his longest receptions have come on those deep balls, you know, 20 yards or so downfield at a much higher rate. And against Buffalo, that's going to be a lot harder to do if they can't protect. The Bills' defense is also a little bit of a factor here. They have not been great at limiting uh, big plays. But their defense does try to take that away often. They use the combination of zone coverage and no blitz on 70% of plays. They basically trust their defense to keep plays in front of them. They try to force teams to throw underneath, and they trust their secondary to just keep the play in front of them and limit big plays. So combination of them not being able to protect, plus the Bills' defense, they try to take away downfield throws. I think this would be a good opportunity to take the under on Tyreek Hill's longest reception, so long as it's available around 24, 25 yards. The next prop that I like in this game is Skylar Thompson, the over on his rushing yards. Now, I don't really know what kind of line we're going to see. He has absolutely played no role in the run game whatsoever in his couple of starts so far this season. I have a hunch the reason for that was because He's the last man standing at quarterback and they could not afford to get him injured. And he does have a history of injury. His last few years in college were marred by injury early in his college career. However, at Kansas state, the offense revolved pretty heavily around him in the run game. So now that they're in the playoffs, if he gets hurt, you know, you don't want him to get hurt, but if he does, you know, Oh, well, like you're not winning the game anyway. If you're onto your fourth quarterback, you're not beating the bills you're you've got to do whatever it takes to win this game and i think that that's going to involve reverting back to what skylar thompson does well which is making plays on the move and running the ball early in his career his last fully healthy season in college in 2019 he averaged 40 rushing yards per game excluding sacks we have not seen him do anything close to that so far with the dolphins but as i said i think that that was purely based on trying to ensure that their final quarterback standing continues to keep standing throughout the remainder of the game. They had to keep him on his feet. Now that you're in the playoffs, I think that that is out the window. You just do whatever it takes to win and your offense is going to be better. If you're asking Tyler Skylar Thompson to do what he does best, which is run the ball or at least rolling him out on the pocket, putting him in position where he can try to ad lib a little bit and make plays. So I think this could be depending on where this line gets posted. This could jump to my favorite prop, of the weekend because I think it'll probably be available in single digits. I mean, because he's played so little, he only has 21 rushing yards on the whole year. So I would expect that we get a really small number here. And you know, if it's in the single digits, I absolutely love it. I'd definitely take it all the way up to 15 yards, maybe even up to 20 yards because you know, if, if I'm, if I'm game planning and I've got Skylar Thompson as my quarterback against the bills in a playoff game, I'm going to lean heavily on that. For one, you want to run the ball and slow the game down, like we just talked about. The reason we're not, the reason we're betting the under on Tyreek Kills long as reception. But also, this is what Thompson did really well. When he was at his peak before his injuries at Kansas State, the offense really relied heavily on him running the ball. That was before Deuce Vaughn got there, their star running back now. That was before he, in 2019, when Thompson was really at his peak. That was before Vaughn was there. The offense revolved really heavily around him. He should be comfortable if you try to adjust the game plan to do to do more of that. So I think this could be a really great opportunity to bet the over on his rushing yards so long as we get a line pretty low, which it should be as long as the line is posted.
Up next, we got Vikings Giants, and I'm going to be on the over six and a half receptions for Justin Jefferson. Now, the last time these teams played, he had 12 receptions on 16 targets for 133 yards. They were a little bit limited in terms of depth due to injuries, so that was maybe a little bit of a factor, but obviously they want to get the ball to Jefferson as much as they can. So the fact that they were able to get him the ball 12 times in that game, even when they were limited, uh, says a lot about what we should expect, I think. Now, I'm partially basing this off of Adore Jackson's status, which is up in the air right now, but he is expected to play in this game. He's missed their final seven games, but they're going to get him back out there. I think we have to assume because he hasn't played in a while and because his status is still a little bit up in the air that he's not going to be at 100% in this game. So looking back at what they've done over the past few weeks without Jackson has added to my confidence. It's not just about Jefferson going up against a less than 100% Jackson. It's a little bit about how they've had to adjust without him because this defense wants to use man coverage. Prior to Jackson's injury, they used man coverage over 50%. It was actually, they used it 10%, 10 percentage points higher than the next most man heavy team, which was the Dolphins at 40%. So they were extremely heavy in their use of man coverage. And then they lost Jackson. In their next four games without Jackson, without Jackson, they shifted their man coverage usage down to 37%, which is still relatively high compared to the rest of the league. They were still trying to use it, but their secondary got absolutely torched. They allowed 8.7 yards per attempt in those four games with six touchdowns, no interceptions when they were in man coverage. In contrast, their first 10 games of the year with Jackson out there, when in man coverage, they allowed 5.5 yards per attempt. So 5.5 yards per attempt with Jackson in the next four games without him, 8.7 yards per attempt. It did not go well. So what did they do? They abandoned man coverage. Final three games of the year, they used man coverage at a 19% rate. That ranks way at the bottom of the league. And that included the Vikings game. So if they use a zone-heavy approach in this game, either with or without Jackson, we've already seen they can get the ball to Jefferson. He had 12 receptions in that game for 133 yards. We shouldn't be concerned at all if they if they continue to use that scheme with or without Jackson. The adjustment obviously had no impact on the Vikings' ability to move the ball. So looking at the Giants' defense right now, I see that there's basically three scenarios. The first possibility is Jackson doesn't play. He's not able to suit up. In that case, they continue with a zone-heavy scheme, and we saw how that worked. Another possibility is Jackson returns. They try to revert back to that man coverage scheme, which they used earlier in the year, in which case you've got Adore Jackson at less than 100% trying to play man coverage against Justin Jefferson. I like Justin Jefferson's chances in that matchup. Or you could have Jackson returning less than 100%, and they ask him to play in this new zone-heavy scheme in which he hasn't really practiced much in because he's been limited over the past two months. I also like Jeff Jefferson's chances in that matchup as well. So basically you have three scenarios of how the Giants try to approach this game from a coverage standpoint with or without Jackson. They all seem like terrible options. I don't see how they're going to be able to contain Justin Jefferson I would say the only way we lose this with the number being relatively low, I think at six and a half receptions, I think the only way we lose this is if maybe the Vikings just blow the doors off right away, jump out to a 21, nothing lead in the first quarter or something like that. And they just lean very heavy on the run the rest of the game and they just don't need Jefferson. I think that would be the scenario where we lose this. So long as the giants are able to keep this reasonably competitive, 
I don't see how the Giants defense is going to be able to contain Justin Jefferson. So I I really like the over on six and a half receptions for Jefferson in this matchup. Now for the Sunday night game, Bengals-Ravens. I've got a defensive prop for you. I'm going to be on the over nine and a half tackles for Roquan Smith. And this pretty much just came down to doing a little bit of math and figuring out how much Smith would need to play in order to hit the over on this because this is a number that he has hit a number of times. And with the Bengals using a you know a fairly efficient, sometimes fast-paced offense, uh, they tend to play a lot of snaps. So I think that this is a pretty good opportunity for us. I'll just kind of run through the math for you. Since joining Baltimore, Roquan Smith has made a tackle on 17% of his snaps. Based on that rate, he's got to play 59 snaps or more for us to expect that he hits the over based on that rate. He rarely comes off the field. He plays at least 95 snaps in every game that he's suited up for Baltimore. And the Bengals offense has run fewer than 59 plays only twice this year. So very high probability that the Bengals offense plays at least 59 snaps in this game. Since Roquan Smith plays close to 100% of the snaps, very likely that he also plays that many snaps. He should hit the over. An additional factor here that makes me significantly more confident Against the run, Roquan Smith has made a tackle on 25% of his snaps this season. The Bengals are favored by a touchdown in this game. We are expecting a run-heavy approach. There should be They should be able to build a lead and run the ball at a significantly higher rate down the stretch in this game. That obviously decreases the number of snaps Smith would need to hit the over. So based on the Bengals' offense, based on how many snaps we think that they are going to play, Really strong probability that Smith is out there for enough snaps to hit double-digit tackles in this game. Also, it's available at a plus number for us, plus 105. It's out there at. So the juice is in our favor a little bit, and I think the math is really in our favor as well. So I like the over on nine and a half tackles for Roquan Smith. Final game of Wild Card Weekend, Cowboys at the Bucks. I'm going to be on the over on 274 passing yards for Tom Brady. I think that there's a couple different factors working in our favor here. The first one is the health of their offensive line. It looks like it's getting a little bit healthier. Tristan Wirfs and Donovan Smith are both expected to play in this game. And that has had a huge impact on the Bucks offense. I'll run through a few stats now on Brady's passing with and without Wirfs and Smith. So when both of them are on the field, when Wirfs and Smith are on the field, Brady's averaging 6.9 yards per attempt. When either one of them is off the field, it drops to 5.7 yards per attempt. So over a yard per attempt better when they're both out there. When both of them are out there, Brady's EPA, his total EPA on the year, plus 48. When one or both of them is off the field, negative 25. That says a lot about just the efficiency of the whole offense. They've been able to pass the ball at a really efficient rate when both of those guys are out there. And when one or both of them are gone, they've been bad. I mean, they've, they've just been flat out bad when they're missing those guys. So assuming both of them are back, it should be a really big boost to the Bucks' offense in this game. Probably makes them much more competitive. Might even make you think you want to uh, play Bucks against the spread as they're two and a half point underdogs right now. That's That line's actually dropped a little bit. So it does seem like uh, some people are shifting that line and taking the Bucks. I think that you could certainly make a strong argument based on the health of their offensive line alone. Now, that ties into the second point that I want to make. And then I think that the Bucks offense is a pretty good matchup against Dallas because Dallas 
what their strength on defense is getting to the quarterback. They can get after you and create pressure. However, no, no one is better at avoiding pressure than Tom Brady. He gets the ball out so quickly. And if he's got a healthy offensive line, they'll probably be even better at protecting him. 68% of Brady's attempts are released in 2.5 seconds or less. That's the second highest rate. So he gets the ball out quickly. And I mean, even, even more so than the offensive line. Obviously, they do have a good offensive line. But even more important than that is that number. Brady gets the ball out so fast that you can't get pressure on him. And when he does get the ball out in 2.5 seconds or less, he's pressured on just 10.6% of his dropbacks. That's the fourth lowest rate. So he gets the ball out quickly to avoid pressure and the offensive line consistently gives him those 2.5 seconds that he needs to get the ball out, which makes up a huge portion of the passing game. That's going to neuter the Cowboys pass rush. Essentially. They don't get home that quickly. It's, I mean, it's hard for anybody to, you can't really expect to generate consistent pressure when the quarterback's getting the ball that fast. That's why Brady uses that strategy at this point in his career. Cause he's not going to avoid anybody. He can't hold the ball for a long time and scramble around. He's got to get the ball out quickly to avoid pressure. So they're going to take away the Cowboys pass rush, and that's potentially problematic for Dallas. When quarterbacks get the ball out within 2.5 seconds or less and the Cowboys fail to generate pressure on those dropbacks, they're allowing 7.1 yards per attempt. That ranks 26th in the league. So essentially, if Dallas can't generate immediate pressure, their secondary struggles to keep the play in front of them. They're giving up significant uh, big plays in those situations. And that's exactly what the Bucs are trying to do to you. They're trying to put you in those situations, and it's a situation that Dallas struggles in. So healthier offensive line for the Bucs. Reason to think that Brady is going to be able to have success when he gets the ball quickly against Dallas. And then just to throw in one other factor, as I mentioned, Dallas is still favored in this game. That certainly makes the possibility that the game script is in our favor. You know, maybe maybe the healthy offensive line isn't enough to help the Bucs actually win the game. But it it does probably help them enough to keep this game relatively close, keep them keep the offense moving, keep potentially making this a high scoring game if Dallas is also able to straighten some things out on offense. So, I really like the over for Tom Brady at 274 passing yards. That's it for this week's show. Hope you have a fun and profitable wild card weekend.